Okay, I don't know why I went into all that. I want to share a teaching that I'm very excited about sharing. I'm always excited about sharing God's Word. Um, Last week, I started a two-part teaching about fear. Actually, it's not really about fear. It's about faith triumphing over fear. Say that with me. Faith triumphs over fear. Say it loud. Faith triumphs over fear. Yeah, that's good news. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a nugget from last week, a nugget of review. I'm going to go ahead and have these passed out, though. Yeah, the top one is Kent's. I uh, didn't bring them. This is a nugget from last week that I want to review. And that is, many of us, when we're dealing with fear, fear is, a, is not uncommon. When you're dealing with something in your body, whether it's a symptom or pain or a diagnosis or whatever, fear is often a kind of a Klingon that goes with that thing. But what we tend to do in the world of faith, in the world of Christianity, is we say, okay, I'm going to fight that thing. I'm going to come against fear. I'm going to say no to it. I'm going to speak against it. I'm going to tell it to go. But what I shared last week, and I'm going to wait to get your papers because this is too good to, to not have your complete attention for. It's not on your paper because it was a last week nugget. So you might want to write it down. You don't need to say, that's a devil, I'm going to come against it. Here's, here's the paradigm shift. Here's the, the deeper revelation that God has been just building in me. Instead of fighting fear, let fear provoke you to faith. Let fear, when that feeling comes, instead of letting it attack you and think you have to fight that thing called fear, go to God. Go to his word. Go to his truth. And when you do, when you're going to God, when you're going to his promises, when you're you're seeking him, the devil will flee. There's a scripture in James 4, 7 that says, submit to God, resist the enemy, and he'll flee. I used to teach that in three parts. First, submit to God. And then when you're submitted, you'll be in a position to resist the devil. And then when you resist the devil, he has to flee. But I believe that with this deeper revelation, it is all together. It's one verse in the Bible. It's not three. It's one. When we submit to God, we are resisting the devil. You don't have to do this and then do this. When you submit to God, the devil is out of the picture. When you submit to God, the enemy is completely resisted and he is out of the picture. He is fl- he's fled. It's past tense. You don't have to wait for him to flee. It's a dawn deal. So what I'm going to be sharing tonight, last week I shared um, a teaching about um, the parallel between faith and fear, a parallel between faith and the truth about faith according to the word and how the enemy has taken a truth and twisted it a little bit so that we have faith in the negative, which is fear. I taught about that last week. If you want to hear the teaching, it's on the website. What I'm going to share tonight are practical strategies to do what I already said. Practical strategies 
to submit to God. And as you submit to God, you are resisting the enemy and he will flee. So we're going to be looking at submitting to God and practical ways to overcome fear in your life as you do that. So I'm going to start with an example of Jesus. I always love to look to Jesus, to see what he did, to see how he did it. So this is a scripture about Jesus. This is Luke chapter 8. This is the story about Jairus and his daughter. Starting with verse 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. He was a ruler of the synagogue. That means he was a a pastor. He was a, a rabbi or a teacher. He fell down at Jesus' feet and begged Jesus to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged Jesus. And then as we know the story goes, Jesus got interrupted. Jairus was in great need. He had a daughter. He'd probably known Jesus' reputation and said, this is my hope, this is my only hope, is a miracle. So I'm going to the miracle worker. But then he got interrupted. And the woman with the issue of blood interrupted. And then there was the whole miracle about her healing. And we're going to pick up right after the the healing of the woman. We're going to skip that part. And we're going to start with verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But... That word, but. So here's this dad who got the worst news he could possibly have gotten. Jesus immediately reversed those words. But Jesus answered and he said, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. The first thing he did when that fear, that, that worst-case scenario came and his, his, his whole emotional soul, his whole being wanted to just, just grieve and lament the loss of his daughter. Jesus said, no, 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 stop. Don't go there. Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. So Jesus stopped that fear in its tracks. And then, let's see, where am I? And then, when he came into the house, he continued. He said, okay, I'm coming. That didn't even face him to hear the little girl died. He had told the man he was coming to heal his daughter, and he continued. So he continued to the house. And when he got there, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the little girl. This is one of the practical strategies I'm going to be sharing tonight. Surrounding yourself with like-minded believers. Surrounding yourself with only people who are in faith. And those who aren't in faith, don't let them in. (laughs) Sometimes we need to be um, bold. I've done that before. Where I've, I've gone into sick rooms and I've asked people to leave. Would you go to the next slide, please? Now all wept and mourned for her. But Jesus said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. 
And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. This is another strategy I'm going to talk about. Being careful of the words that you speak. Jesus wasn't going to speak death. He was believing for a resurrection. He wasn't going to call her dead. So he was guarding his speech. He was speaking words of life, not words of death. Even though she was dead. He said, oh no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. Then he put them all outside and he took that little girl by the hand and he called her and said, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately. And then he commanded that she be given something to eat. So here's a picture of Jesus helping a man who had the worst case scenario, helping him to take captive the thought of his daughter dying, to put fear out of doors, to believe anyway against all odds, to come together with like-minded believers, to stay in faith, stay in faith, don't waver, to speak words of life, and to call that little girl back. And she was healed. So all of those strategies we're going to be, or at least a lot of them, we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to give you six practical strategies on overcoming fear. You'll see that every one of them deal with going to God and submitting to God. We're not going to be talking about fighting the the devil. We're not going to be talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to be talking about going to God. And when we go to God, we're doing spiritual warfare. So here's the first practical step. First of all, you've got a nugget on the top. I just got to refer to it. It says, in the Bible, it says, do not fear. 365 times. You know, nothing in the Bible is an accident. Nothing is a coincidence. God wants us to know not to fear every day, 365 days a year. That just is amazing that that would be in there 365 times. Okay, here's number one. Meditate. Meditate. We're going to be talking more about that in the future. Meditate on God's perfect love, on his goodness, and on his promises. Not on the problem. Where's your focus? We're talking about fighting fear. In Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8, there are all kinds of of excellent um, uh, truths that that go right along with this. So I just want to take this scripture and kind of break it up a little bit and talk about it. So in verse 6, it says, God is speaking through his word, and he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. Now, before I go on, this scripture, God says, this is one of his do not fears, one of those 365. He says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't do it. And then he says, instead, come to me. Come to your daddy. Come to me and talk to me about it. Let me help you. He literally says, tell God what you need. He's a good father. He wants us to come to him with every need, no matter how great, no matter how small. Don't worry. Don't let those little tiny things or those great huge things take up 
residence in your heart. Don't do it. Instead, go to God. Talk to him about it. That's what prayer is. And then it says to thank him. It doesn't say to go to God, pray, get your answer, and then thank him. It says to thank him before you even see the answer. Then, then, verse 7, then God will give you peace. Isn't peace what you need if you're fighting fear? Yes, peace dissipates fear. I've been in both places. I have been so oppressed with fear that I feel like I'm suffocating. And then I've had God's peace come in and it, it, it evaporates. The fear evaporates and peace settles in. Many times when I'm praying for people, I pray for peace. I can just sense that there's a, a, a heaviness on them or a fear. And I pray for peace. And you can just sense the, the yuck leaving and the peace taking its place. That's a promise. We're talking about ways to overcome fear. This is one of the ways. God says he'll give us peace. And then he says that peace will guard our heart and our minds. That's what we need. That's where fear takes residence, in our heart and in our mind. But God will give us peace. And it said the word guard, in the Amplified, it uses the word garrison. It's a military term. It is a military term. God gives us this military protection. You can picture whatever you want. Maybe it's an angelic warrior army. I don't know. Whatever it is, you've got this military protection protecting your heart and your mind. That's what that peace is. And it doesn't let the arrows of the enemy of fear keep coming in. When we do what God says, God's word is truth. He accomplishes his word. It doesn't, it doesn't return to him void. So when we do what his word says, we get what his word says. But there's more. Because in verse 8, God tells us something very important. And it's the first line on your sheet. Number one, it's in, this is Cindy's words. Meditate on God. Meditate on his love, on his goodness, and on his promises. And that's what God says. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. That means meditate. Fix your thoughts. Put your focus. Put your eyes. Put the eyes of your heart. Put the eyes of your mind. Put your ears on what is true. His word is truth. Put your heart on what is true. What is honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent. In the Amplified, it uses the word good report. Think about the good report instead of the diagnosis, instead of the yuck that you're dealing with. Put your focus on the good report, and put your focus on what's worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise. God tells us what to put our focus on, to take your focus off the problem and put your focus on truth, on the good report, on him who is worthy of praise. Because when you choose not to worry, when you choose, and that's the next point I'm going to be talking about in one second, when we make the choice to take those worried thoughts captive and not give them life, 
we better be filling ourselves with something else. Because you can't just have an empty head and heart. God didn't create human beings that way. So fill it. Fill it with his word. Fill it with his goodness, his love, his promises. Okay. Point number two. We have a choice. We don't have to let worried thoughts stay. We do not have to entertain them. They're not welcome. We need to cast down vain imaginations. Take negative, fearful thoughts captive. And this is another scriptural piece of teaching. This isn't Cindy. This is the word. I'm literally just reading the word. This is 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. I just pray over this right now, Father God, that this word, this word that is so true, comes into residence in our heart. And it grows in depth. It grows in depth. It grows in in, um, strength. That we don't take it lightly, but we apply this word to our life and we receive its benefits in Jesus' name. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical. They're not weapons of flesh and blood. Here's the word but again. (laughs) But they are mighty before God for the overflow and destruction of strongholds. So here we are. We're talking about weapons of warfare, but they're not physical weapons. When we're talking about warfare, we're talking about fear today. So when we're fighting fear, we have weapons. And here's some really good news. God's already done it. He's already given us help. And these, these spiritual weapons are mighty before God for the overthrow and the destruction of strongholds. Is that good news? Yeah, we have weapons. And those weapons work. They're good ones. They enable us to overthrow and destroy strongholds of fear. Now, this is how we do it. Verse 5. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. That word refute means to prove to be false with evidence. To prove something to be false with evidence. Now in here it lists a bunch of stuff. It says proud and lofty things. It says reasonings. We're good at that in, the hum- in our little human brain. Reasoning things out. And that often uh, uh, snowballs into fear as we try to reason things out, as we think things through, as we plan, as we do all of our stuff that we need to do to take care of the issue. We can grow the problem into this, mag- this huge, ugly fear. God says, stop it. He says, no, refute that thing. Prove it wrong. And what do we prove it wrong with? His word. His promises. We have evidence. We have evidence. I can't tell you how many times I have taken my Bible and I have held it to my heart and I've said, God, I have your final report. I don't care what the doctor's report says. I don't care what my body says. I don't care what the, the, 
symptoms are. I have your final report right here. What am I doing? I am refusing to take that other thing captive. And I'm refuting it with the word. I'm proving that thing false with truth. One of the definitions I gave you last week of fear is false evidence appearing real. Boy, does it feel real. Boy, does that doctor's report that has an MRI or a CAT scan that, in my case, that showed cancer through my whole lymphatic system, that felt really real. But God's word supersedes it. This is truth. And behind every fear, there's a lie. So the the key is to expose that lie and prove it false with the word of God. In order to do that, you got to get the promise out of the word and start declaring it. Then, the next line says, And we lead every thought and purpose away captive unto the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. When it's talking about leading those thoughts captive, we're talking about fearful thoughts. We're talking about thoughts that do not agree with God and his word. We're talking about the, I'm calling it antichrist because it is. It's not of God. It doesn't agree with God. It might even look really pretty. We hear things in the world today that sound really pretty. They sound politically correct. They sound loving. But it isn't in agreement with the word of God. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a disease or a fear or a destructive force. It can be something that looks very positive and it can be very evil. Because the enemy is good at taking evil and making it look good. And taking good and making it look evil. God says to refute those things. To prove them false with his word. And to take those thoughts captive. The word captive means kept in confinement. Unto the obedience of Christ. The word obedience means submission to him. Submission to his word. Choosing to agree with God and not the lie. Choosing is a choice. This is a choice we can make. It's one of the ways that we can overcome fear. By taking those thoughts captive. Many of you know that our daughter right now is on a a six-month journey on the Appalachian Trail. She's hiking the whole thing from Georgia to Maine. And when she called me to tell me, she was a little afraid to call me, I think, for fear that, well, for fear, I'm using a bad word when I'm teaching about fear, concerned that I would worry, that I would, you know, freak out, basically. And this is what I told her. And I didn't, I tried to say it in a very loving way. I said, Megan, I love you with my whole heart. But I'm just going to tell you something. I will not worry. I will not worry. I won't, won't let worry into my soul. I will pray. And I told her that. I will pray every day. I will pray. But I will not worry. And I haven't worried. I talked to her last night, and she saw uh, yesterday on the trail, there was um, a mama bear with three little cubs that were in a tree. Now, bears, I've learned a lot since she's been on this hike, aren't usually dangerous unless they have cubs. And so she said, we just waited, 
they were right on the trail. The tree was like right next to the trail. The baby bears were up the tree and the mama bear was at the bottom of the tree protecting our babies. And she said, we didn't do anything. We just stood there. And then, um, and then she said, then we, we did some bushwhacking and we went way, 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 way. Because they waited for like 15 minutes. They went way around the tree and then back onto the trail. And I said, were you afraid? That was what I asked her. <laughs> were you afraid? And she said, no. I had one of, one of the guys that's hiking with her is a giant guy. Tall Tail was with me. That's what they call it. They have, they have um, trail names. Tall Tail was with me. I was fine. <laughs> her name is Jay Wiggles. <laughs> and I'm Mama Wiggles. That's what they call me. So anyway, I refuse to worry. That's the bottom line. We have a choice. I'm not going to lose sleep over my daughter. I speak life into her. I pray. I declare the word over her, but I refuse to worry. We have a choice. Point number three, guard your speech. Voicing your faith cancels out fear. That's a good thing. These are strategies to overcome fear. But the opposite's also true. Voicing your fear can cancel out faith. It's important that we develop our faith through speaking God's promises of healing and wholeness. And we don't develop fear by speaking words of the problem, the diagnosis, the the doctor stuff. Now, you have to talk about it with your doctor, of course. You need to talk about it with your spouse. But you don't need to go around talking about the issue everywhere you go all day long. So you need to, to, to guard what you're saying. Guard your voice. Guard your words. Proverbs 18.21 says, Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. That's the message version. Isn't that powerful? We have a choice. Our words can either be poison or they can be fruitful. They can either be death or they can be life. We have a choice over our words. This is one of the ways that we overcome fear by the words that we speak. I want to use the example right now of the, in the natural of an MRI. When you, many of us, when you go to the doctor, they, they want to do an MRI. And the purpose of the MRI is an indicator, it's a picture, and it's to show what's going on in the body. And then after the MRI's results come back, the doctor can either say good report or bad report. He can give you a diagnosis. He can give you a pretty good speculation about what's going on inside your body. What I want to talk about right now is what I'm calling a spiritual MRI. The words that we speak are a spiritual MRI. Just like a regular MRI, they're also an indicator. If the words that we speak are faith-filled, word-filled, positive, life-filled words, it is indicating health and wholeness. Now, you can have words that indicate health and wholeness when the doctor reports says sickness and bad stuff. And the, the result is health and wholeness because the word supersedes. The, the word trumps everything else. When it is spoken, when it is, is alive, it's powerful. 
but the opposite's also true. So if the words that you're speaking are, are consumed with the problem and the issue and the, the yuck, it is a, an indicator of the problem, and that problem may very well be fruitful. Remember, words are either poison or fruit. I, I should say those the, are poison. Those negative words are poison, and the fruit is bad fruit. And that's very often what will come to pass. Our words are so very important. What I want to share right now is James 1, verses 6 through 8. I want to talk a little bit about double-mindedness. The scripture says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's scripture's one that we would rather not have in the Bible. (laughs) God, just can you take that one out? But it's there for a reason. I'm talking right now about guarding our, our, our speech, about guarding our words. And I, I believe that double-mindedness, we can see double-mindedness or we can hear double-mindedness by the words that we speak. Double-mindedness is when we speak both the promises of God and the problem in excess where you're declaring the truth, you're declaring the goodness of God, but you're also declaring the problem, declaring the problem, declaring the problem. Now, I want to give you a, 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 something that I think will ease your heart right now, and that is that just because you have a worried thought, just because something comes in here doesn't mean you're double-minded. That happens. When you go to the doctor and he tells you something, that report goes in here. It doesn't mean you're double-minded. When you have a pain, when you have a lump, when you have something, those thoughts are in here. It doesn't mean you're double-minded. This is something my friend Tom told me a few years ago, and it really helped me. He said, thoughts are equal to thoughts. So I might have that thought of, what is that lump? What is that pain? What is, you know, that diagnosis the doctor? I might have that thought, but I might also have the thought Oh, Jesus, you died for my sin. You died for my healing. You redeemed me from the curse. And and have those thoughts. Thoughts are equal to thoughts. Words are equal in power to words. I'm talking about power right now. Thoughts are equal in power to thoughts. Words are are equal in power to words. So when we speak positive, when we speak negative, they're both kind of flopping back and forth, like that wave being tossed back and forth in the sea. But here's the good news. Words are way more powerful than thoughts. That Proverbs um, 18.21 scripture doesn't say, um, I want to go back to it, It doesn't say thoughts kill, thoughts give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. It says words kill and words give life. So if you have those worried thoughts, 
if you had those things come into your head. But you're speaking out the word of life. You're speaking out the promises of God. That's where the power is. And those other things have to be just extinguished and, and flushed down the toilet. They are nothing. And in, in, in addition, we learn to take those worried thoughts captive and not give them life, not even give them the, the time of day to spend in my brain or in my heart. So double-mindedness, double-mindedness is when you're talking about both. Now, I want to give you an example of this. I'm going to give you two examples. The first example I'm going to give you is a positive, and the second one is a negative one. So both of these things are true, and they both happened at the same time of the same season of, of my life. And it was in 2010. Uh, it was, I, I talked a little bit about it last week. It's when I had been healed from cancer for eight years, and then they found a lump in my neck. And uh, there was a period of time that I was, first of all, not doing anything in the medical realm. And then after about four months, I went to the doctor and I started having tests. And then I had surgery two months after that. I was very cautious of the words that I spoke. I did speak God's word a lot. I didn't speak about the problem. Yes, I went to the doctor and I talked to my doctor. Yes, I talked to my husband. Yes, I talked to my my pastor, my spiritual mentor. Yes, I asked my prayer team to pray for me. But I didn't even ask them to pray for me until right before the surgery. They didn't even know about it until right before the surgery. Yes, I told my family, but I only told them right before the surgery because I had to. I didn't tell even my family. I chose not to. That was me. I know my family. And not Kent's side, but my side of the family, negative, 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 talk, 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 talk. And I didn't want that going on. I got a good report. I had the surgery. It was not cancer. I have been nothing but healthy. I have no thyroid, but you would never know it. I feel excellent. I have always felt excellent. There are no symptoms, no thyroid symptoms, no issues, nothing. I am whole. I am healthy. I'm strong. I chose not to talk about all that. At the same time, my father-in-law, Kent's dad, was diagnosed with cancer. He was diagnosed in the spring. And dad knew the truth about healing. He had seen me healed. He had seen his wife healed of rheumatoid arthritis. He himself had been healed of this terrible heart condition where he was not supposed to live over 10 years when he was in his 40s. And he lived until he was in his 70s. Well, he lived whole. He lived strong. He had seen healing. He knew Jesus was the healer. He believed with all his heart. He loved it when we spoke the word over him. And we did it a lot. He loved it when we spoke the word over him. But he didn't speak the word over himself. What he did speak was the problem. Everything that he said. That's all he talked about. And you know, I'm just going to put this out there. I see that a lot, not always, but I see it often with older people. It's as if they don't have a lot of other things to talk about, so they talk about issues of life. You don't need to do that. I have a daddy who's almost 90 and a mama who's 88, and they 
are filled with life and joy and positive words. They don't talk about issues of life. You don't have to do that when you get to be 90 or 80 or 70 or 60. You don't have to do that. So stop it if you are. My father-in-law talked about the problem all the time. He, he knew he believed in Jesus. He believed in healing. We spoke the word over him, but he spoke the problem. He died in four months. There's a testimony behind that I won't share now. Beautiful testimony of God taking care of him through that. But the bottom line is he was double-minded. And the word says, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So guard your speech. Speaking faith cancels out fear. Speaking fear cancels out faith. What are you magnifying? Are you magnifying God in his word, or are you magnifying the problem? Point number four. Get comfortable not knowing. We're talking about overcoming fear. Get comfortable not knowing. The time, this, the healing, I call it the healing journey. You might feel like heck, but it's a healing journey. When you're on that healing journey, it is a time of immense spiritual growth. It's a time of so much healing going on, you don't even have a clue all that's going on. Spiritually, in your soul, in your relationships, in your body, you don't even know, but there's a whole lot going on. When you seek God, when you declare his word, his word doesn't return void. There's so much healing going on. Often, the inner person is transformed by the Holy Spirit before you see the manifestation of healing on the outer person. Doesn't mean nothing's happening. A whole lot is happening. In my Healed for for Life book, I, I just meditated and thought about all the things that God had done in me that I didn't even recognize until I was looking back. So much healing that had happened through that journey. I didn't even know it. It's just like when, when little kids are growing, they don't real, or mom and dad don't even realize how much they're growing because they're right there with them. But there's so much happening. And that's what's happening during your healing journey. This is a, a, a scripture that gives... Evidence. It's kind of another one of those hard scriptures that you might like God to take out of the Bible. But this is a beautiful word, and it's a promise. This is a word that God gave me as a rhema word in 2010 when I had that lump in my neck. Here's the word. This is from the Passion Bible. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience all the joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. That's good news. I wanna, before I go on, I want to make a point, an important point. It says, when your faith is tested, God does not give you bad things to test your faith. Let me say that again. God does not give you bad things like cancer or, or epilepsy or seizures or swelling in legs. He doesn't give you bad things to test your faith. 
He's a good daddy. He doesn't give bad things. Now, bad things happen. And in that midst of that, the Bible says in John 16, there will be trials and tribulations. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome them for you. So the bottom line is, he doesn't give you bad things, but your faith is tested through tribulations and trials, etc., etc., etc. But it stirs up power. If you're seeking God in the midst of it, it stirs up power within you to endure. And as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection. That word is often um, um, explained as maturity. You grow up in strength in your walk with God. How many of you have grown stronger in your walk with God through, through an issue of life? Yeah, big time. You wouldn't be, and I, I, it's, I, don't, I don't ever want people to have an issue like, like I've had or that other of you have had. But I wouldn't be where I am today. That happened to me. That scripture came to life. And it's a good thing. As your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. That's shalom. That's peace. That's the opposite of fear. Nothing missing, nothing lacking. God gave me that word before I got the good report in 2010. It was in the beginning part. And I knew that that was a word for me. And I I took that word and I said, okay, God. I'm believing you for this. I'm standing on that word, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do in me. I can't wait, because I know it's happening. After I got the good report, that's when I wrote Healed for Life, How to Keep Your Healing. What the devil intended for destruction, God turned around for good. And I had so much more in me to write in that book and and to put out there to help people walk in faith and to stay in that place of consistency by the river of life, planted, firm, and established, and not let anything get you off course. The, the second point I want to make is in this get comfortable not knowing, is during that time of not knowing, use your time well. Use your time constructively and not destructively. And the best example that I have that I love to share is a girl on our ministry team. Her name is Yvonne. Um, She used to be on this ministry team, but she's got kids in high school, and she's not able to come anymore. But she went through a breast cancer um, battle several years ago. And in the middle of her battle, she was fighting fear. That's what we're talking about today. She was engulfed with fear. And when the, the massive attack came, she did what we talked about at the beginning of the session. She decided she was going to do spiritual warfare. And she was going to fight fear. And she was going to tell it to go. And she was going to just put it under her feet. And she was just going to speak to that fear and command it to go and fight fear. And then she realized that she was spending more time fighting the devil than she was going to God. And so she switched her tactics. She downloaded a lot of really excellent teachings onto her iPod. 
She put her iPod in her pocket, put her earbuds in, and she listened to teaching six to eight hours a day. She listened to teaching. She listened to um, praise music. She listened to scriptures. Six to eight hours a day. She was using her time well, wasn't she? She was a stay-at-home mom. So while her kids were at school, she had those earbuds in. And she was filling her heart with what was good. She was using her time constructively and not destructively. This is one of Pastor Tim's nuggets. Whatever you focus on the most, whatever you feed on the most, will predominate in your life. So what are you feeding on? Okay, point number five. Surround yourselves with like-minded believers who will stand in faith with you. That's so important. And you're doing it. You're doing it here. The prayer of agreement. I'm not going to read it now because of time. But the prayer of agreement is so awesome. God says he's with us in that prayer. He's with us as we pray. And, and when we pray according to his will, we will have whatever it is that we pray. That's his word. That's his promise. I want to talk about three ways, three areas we can surround ourselves. The first is with a faith friend. Maybe two. One or two faith friends, mentors, advisors, whatever you want to call them whom you can call at any time when you need prayer or when you want prayer. If you don't have one of those, you need one. Yes. It is very, very powerful. That's the first place to have a like-minded believer. The second is a small group. Small groups are awesome. When you're in a small group, you can stand together in agreement. You can ask questions. You can ask for prayer. You can have people surrounding you and loving you and helping you to be strong. We need help. I can't live the life of faith I live on my own on an island. I need you guys. I need my friends in faith. I need you. God knew that. That's how he created us. So a spiritual mentor, a small group. And the third that I believe is critical, and I'm just going to put it out there, I think it's critically important that you join and attend church that believes the way the Bible says, that has doctrinal beliefs that agree with the word. I'm not telling you to change churches, but I am saying that's a powerful place to come together and worship together, to come together and and praise God and be in the presence of God together and to hear the word of God and to be fed. I... uh, Maybe I'm different than most people, but you can't keep me out of a church. (laughs) I'm in church every time it's open, almost. I want to be there. And I, I still, in my home, I have my time every day with God at home too. But we need that fellowship with believers. So surround yourself with like-minded believers. That's what Jesus did when he went to Jairus' home. And the last one, number six. Praise and worship. Praise and worship God. When we praise, he inhabits our praises. When we praise, he strengthens us in our faith. So here we come to God for, to give him glory, to remember his wondrous acts, and to give him glory for who he is. And we get blessed We get strengthened. We get built up. Praise is a powerful, dynamic force.
force against the enemy. So when you're seeking to overcome fear, praise and worship is a great big way to do it. It's one of the strategies I do. I put on my music and I start praising God. So here's two final scriptures about praising God. This is Romans 4, verses 20 and 21. This is about Abraham. No unbelief or distrust made him waver or doubtingly question concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. Fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. So in the midst of this two scriptures, it talks about how he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he praised and worshipped, as he gave praise and glory to God. He was strengthened in faith. He was empowered. Now notice there's, there's two other parts to the scripture. The per- first part is about unbelief. He says he had no unbelief. He had no doubt. The, se- the last part says he believed with absolute conviction that what God said he could do, he was absolutely able to do. So that's faith. That is confident, fervent faith. No doubt, no unbelief. There's no double-mindedness there. And I believe the reason is because of the praise and worship and how he was empowered and strengthened in his faith. And the last scripture is Psalm 34, verses 1 through 4. I will bless the Lord at all times. Notice the word will. It's our choice. It's our will. I choose to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul, that's my mind, my will, my emotions. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The humble and downtrodden will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us lift up his name together. I sought the Lord on the authority of his word and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. There is great power in praise. There is deliverance from fear in praise. So, there's six practical strategies that when there is oppression on you, when there's fear, when you're having uh, worried thoughts that are trying to run rampant in your brain. There are six things you can take a step and do, six practical steps that you can take action where you're submitting to God, where you're going to God, and you are resisting the enemy. There is spiritual warfare going on, and the enemy has to flee. Isn't that good news? So I pray over this word right now, Father, and I pray that it is more real to us than the words on that paper that it is more real to us, that it is living, it is alive in us, and that we take it as a treasure into our hearts and live it. We live it. We live a life of peace. We live a life of steadfastness and endurance. We live a life knowing that we know that we know that we know that you are a good, good father and that you're taking care of us. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.